0: Hey there, welcome to Grubstakers, the podcast about billionaires. This week we're talking about Steve Schwartzman, the billionaire who has been called Donald Trump's China Whisperer and one of the co-founders of the Blackstone Group, one of the largest private equity firms in the world. Hear all about the inspiring true story of how he went from humble origins as a member of the Yale Skull and Bones Society to today being one of the largest single landlords in the United States of America. And hear all about his thoughts on both birthday parties and Bernie Sanders. All that and more coming up on Grubstickers. I think we
1: disproportionately stop whites too much.
0: I taught those kids lessons on product development and marketing, and they taught me what it was like growing up feeling targeted for your race.
1: I am proud to be gay. I am proud to be a Republican. You know, I went to a tough school in Queens, and... Used to beat up the little Jewish boys.
0: You know, I love yeah, having great, the support great. of real billions. Hmm. Um, Hello and welcome to another wonderful episode of Grub I'm Sean P. McCarthy, joined as always by
1: Steve Jeffers, Yogi
0: Polywell. Uh, Andy Palmer is out this week. He's celebrating the fourth. Uh, he will hopefully be back next week.
2: If you're a fan of his uh, social media, he's been on a lot of trains. He's been enjoying the train life.
0: If you're a, if you're a fan of um, three likes, <laughs> check out his Instagram. Um, But no, uh, Andy Palmer's out this week, um, but uh, we've got a very wonderful episode uh, for you uh, uh, about one gentleman named Steve Schwartzman. Steve Schwartzman is worth about $13.3 billion as of July 2018, according to Forbes magazine, and he's particularly relevant if you've been reading any of the stories about um, Trump's new trade war with China. That's right. So uh, as of uh, Friday, July 6th, Trump uh, slapped about $34 billion worth of tariffs on Chinese goods. China has retaliated with their own $34 billion worth of tariffs. Um, They've appealed to the uh, WTO, and then Trump has actually said that he's going to— uh, maybe do another 16 billion dollars in tariffs in two weeks, and has even threatened to go all the way up to 500 billion, um, because which would be the total value of Chinese imports in 2017. So essentially, like Trump is really escalating the trade war, and Steve Schwartzman is a, um, well, he's one of the co-founders and the current CEO of uh, uh, Blackstone, um, which is one of the largest private equity groups in the world. But he's also kind of uh, there was one Washington Post article calling him Trump's China Whisper. What? Yeah, and um, just like for like context on that, he like has done you know billions of dollars worth of business in China. At one point, um, when Blackstone went public, uh, a Chinese uh, state-owned firm bought about ten percent of the company. They've since sold it, but you know this is again billion-dollar investment made by the Chinese government into his company, which would of course require approval of. Chinese premier and these kinds of things and then like there's just another story from Washington Post where in um, January 2017 uh, President Xi Jinping of China took him aside at uh, the Davos summit and uh, he took Steve Schwartzman aside and asked him about uh, Donald Trump so this is
2: essentially a Wall Street crook in bed with the politicians that are controlling our society huh
0: right and so yes um uh at davos january 2017 uh president xi jinping of china took steve schwartzman aside uh, and asked him to you know help try to explain trump's mindset you know and then there's been like a, a few different articles written about how steve schwartzman has been like a back and forth uh between you know chinese officials and american government officials he even like sat in for a bit in a meeting between trump and xi jinping um but Schwartzman has been a guy who's very consistently been against these tariffs right. so it's interesting that that Trump is doing this that will you know, well, if we're lucky, fuck up Steve Schwartzman's bottom line, Hopefully. but uh, I think he'll be fine regardless. But I just but, love that he had an answer like, well, hey, what's Trump's brain like?
2: Uh, I mean, uh, like, what, what is the answer to that question?
0: Idiot. I mean, erratic at times, I think is a good answer. Steve Schwartzman had to be like, hey, have you ever watched the Naughty America pornography <laughs> series? <laughs> if you just, if you watch some of those, you'll really get into the Trump mindset. <laughs> Um, but yes, so, uh, uh, Steve Schwartzman is, uh, Trump's China whisper, um, and he's had various degrees of influence. Um, we'll, we'll get to his, uh, role in the Trump tax cut as well and his role in, you know, protecting the, what's called the carried interest loophole that benefits, you know, private equity firms like the one that he runs. But, um, before all that, we should just kind of go through his biography in, uh, mostly chronological order, um. Steve Schwartzman was born in 1947 in uh, Philadelphia. Um, his grandfather and his father owned a dry goods store uh, called Schwartzman's in Philadelphia, mm-hmm. and basically, according to the New Yorker, uh, it was it, it mainly sold like bed and bath linens, uh, housewares. They they tell a story about Schwartzman approached his father when he was like 15 and was trying to get him to like expand into a national chain or even just like open another store, you know, like Sears, <laughs> he wanted to he wanted his father to expand and his dad was like, "No, I'm like I'm I'm rich. I've got enough to pay right. for your college and your brother's college." And, you know, I, I don't need the extra work. <laughs> right, right. And so, and he then... Said,
1: dad, you should expand into a national chain or at least have a second bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> he was trying to convince his dad to do a leveraged buyout. <laughs> <laughs> dad, it's already, even at a young age, the, fin- the, ma- the mind of a financial engineer was at work. Right, right.
0: Dad, have you looked at how much you're paying in health insurance and pension benefits <laughs> to these people <laughs> to who these... work in your stores? There are
1: literally nines of employees out there. (laughs) there who are just living it up on your dole
0: dad have you considered loading up uh several billion dollars in debt financing onto your company and then going through bankruptcy court to try and get it uh get the pensions wiped out um but so yes he tried to get his dad to expand and his dad was like no i like owning one store and then eventually his dad uh retires at the age of 70 and he sells the store But the store later goes out of business 10 years later, according to The New Yorker, because of mounting competition from national chains like Bed Bath & Beyond. Right. But the point of all this is uh, he had at least an upper middle class upbringing. You know, his both father and grandfather owned a, a very successful store in the Philadelphia area. And because of this, he was able to go to Yale, where he graduated Yale with a B.A. in 1969. He studied, uh, which, and I've never heard of this, he studied intensive culture and behavior, which was <laughs> an interdisciplinary uh, subject. Interculture
2: and behavior? In- intensive. intensive. Okay, all right, well, I didn't realize it was such a difficult course. <laughs> <laughs>
0: it's, it's called intensive because they hit you with a ruler every time you do cultural appropriation. <laughs> ha! No wearing a kimono to this class. Steven, is that soy sauce? You know what that means. <laughs> yeah. They uh, they give you an F if you eat faux fo- fo- noodles or um, teriyaki. You fed up. <laughs> Um, but so he studies intensive culture and behavior, um, according to the New Yorker. And it was interesting because he didn't in his BA program he course, he didn't take a single economics or accounting course. Um, but he also uh, joined the Skull and Bones Society in his senior year. And apparently George W. Bush graduated one year ahead of him, so uh, they might have. are both
1: in Skull and Bones Society. It's so secret we can't talk
0: about it. You know, ran into each other in the course of Skull and Bones. He later went on to become, you know, a Bush fundraiser and stuff. But yeah, they no. might
2: have, you know, gotten a drink, shook hands, you know, sucked the dick of the same devil. You know, they
0: might have you know, you never
2: know what they did, you know. Kill a goat together, you know. You just never
0: know. They might have uh, drank the blood of the same sacrifice. <laughs> um but yeah, Yogi, you were telling me a little bit about Skull and Bones. Well, here's the thing. The Skull
2: and Bones groups are basically like the, you know, the country's original frats. It's a group of powerful yeah. people banding together to make decisions to make themselves more wealthier. And with the Skull and Bones, they've got a whole bunch of members that are politicians, so a handful of them became presidents. I mean, essentially, it's a group of people that say, hey, we decide what the world's going to do next, and... Honestly, that's very terrifying. It's you know, it's fifty plus white people in a room going, "Hey, aren't we great?" The
0: uh, the inspiration for Blackstone was <laughs> fifty plus white people in a room going, "Aren't we great?" <laughs> I do like the idea of like him like joining Skull and Bones in nineteen sixty nine as like, and then the initiation ritual is he gets to fire the rifle that they used to kill President Kennedy. <laughs> But uh, so he uh, uh, he graduates uh, Yale uh, with a BA, 1969, intensive culture and behavior. He uh, briefly um, works, uh, or briefly is in the U.S. Army reserves. Um, but so then he kind of cuts his teeth on Wall Street. Let me just, yeah. So according to this New Yorker article, he um, uh, takes a job at the Yale Alumni Office briefly, where he meets this guy Larry Noble. Uh, Larry Noble introduces him to a um, uh, a guy named Bill Donaldson, who was at the time running an investment bank called Donaldson, Lufkin, and Jan Rett. Hmm. Uh, John Donaldson went on to be the CEO of the New York Stock Exchange, chairman of the SEC, and... SEC, um, And then, so, according to this New Yorker profile, Schwartzman waited in the reception area for half an hour, watching as young bankers hurried past in shirt sleeves, followed by secretaries wearing short skirts and big gold earrings. It seemed fast-moving and intense, Schwartzman recalled. Everyone seemed happy. When Donaldson asked him why he wanted to work at the firm, Schwartzman replied, Mr. Donaldson, I don't even know what you do, but you have such great-looking girls and intense guys that I want to do it. Uh, Schwartzman was hired at the salary of $10,500, which by his account was $500 more than anyone else in his class at Yale, and then he realized he was unqualified and left after six months. But that was when he you know, cut his teeth on Wall Street.
2: Man, isn't it great when you're at a job and you realize you're unqualified and you leave six months later? You you guys know when that happens? When you don't get fired and you just hang out for six months and you go, you know what?
1: Uh, He's talking about how happy everyone looked. Right, right. Does Schwarzman have a disease where he can't... assumes the opposite of how
0: people are actually feeling on wall
2: street right everyone's miserable but to him it's like wow look at all these great people having a fun time
0: (laughs) it was like right before coke hit wall street so they weren't happy yet um but uh yeah so like he gets this kind of like first experience and then um he goes back to harvard to get an mba Uh, Because, like, he knows that, you know, he wants to... uh, Essentially, he wants to become rich. Like, originally, he wanted to go into politics, and then he talked to some guy... Um, who who told him that essentially like the reason he was able to go into politics is because his father was rich. So mm-hmm. if you want to go into political power, you just need to get independent wealth. Right, right. So it was like I don't I don't have enough money was basically where he was <laughs> at. This fucking
2: terrible that even thirty plus years ago, a guy was like, Hey, I'm thinking about maybe going to politics, and someone was like, Well, you just need a dickload of money. I mean, uh, I don't know if you know this Donald Trump guy, but he might be president one day.
0: Yeah. Yeah, no, he's like, uh, yeah, well, uh, you know, like, the people that you will eventually become, uh, the vested interests who control the political process through money, uh, you're going to need to butter up to them. Right.
2: Hey, fuck being elected. How about you just pay the people that are going to be elected eventually?
0: Mm. Um, But so, yeah, during his uh, second year at Harvard Business School, again, according to The New Yorker, he meets his first wife, Mm -hmm. uh, Ellen Phillips, um, she was a researcher, but she was also the uh, daughter of a guy named Jesse Phillips, who was a wealthy Ohio industrialist. Right. Uh, they were married in 71. They had two children. Um, and so then uh, he graduates Harvard Business School, MBA, and uh, he gets job offers from both Lehman Brothers and Morgan Stanley, uh, and then he decides to work at uh, Lehman Brothers. Um, and then this is like kind of a... Uh,
2: Where me. everyone's happy. <laughs> This was the moment before the storm finally
1: hit. Uh, (laughs) And then things got weird.
0: So he gets this job at Lehman Brothers, um, and then uh, he starts... uh, So basically, he starts kind of working on what are called mergers and acquisitions. And then it's really... um, He he gets... uh, his first like real experiences with a uh, Tropicana great juice. Um, a, the juice. Yes. A Tropicana and imp- executive had been impressed by his bond, pre- a bond presentation Schwartzman made, uh, and felt that despite his inexperience, he could explain conse- complicated aspects of the merger to a relatively unsophisticated board. Uh, so he's like put in charge of this $488 million deal in 1978, and that was kind of his, according to The New Yorker, again, this was his emergence as the lead banker in mergers and acquisitions for Lehman Brothers. Hmm. and
2: Because uh, of a presentation he did? Not like, hey, your resume's good, and I don't know, you got good references. Mm -hmm. Just, hey, when you talked about that thing that was complicated, you made dumb people understand it. You're hired, kid. kid, you got the job.
0: But so he arrives at Lehman in 1972, and apparently he's like a workaholic, you know, a a characteristic that he, like, apparently maintains to this day. Like, there's one anecdote with his first wife that's uh, that him and his wife, and then another guy and their wife went to, I believe, the opera and then like as soon as like the lights went down and the performance started he, s- he pulled out a bunch of papers and started like going through them <laughs> and reviewing them and then nice. his wife like complained at him during the intermission and then he just went right back to doing it as soon as the intermission was over and, uh, for some reason they were divorced in 1990, <laughs> Aww. but, uh, you know, he's a workaholic and then, uh, he gets this reputation as a mergers and acquisitions guy. And then, you know, the se- the late seventies, early eighties is when this business really takes off. So he joins Lehman brothers 1978 or 1972. And then just six years later, he's made a partner at uh, Lehman brothers and it's at Lehman brothers that he meets a guy named Peter G Peterson. And, uh, Pete Peterson uh, is dead now, thankfully. But he was uh, from 73 to 1984, he was the CEO of Lehman Brothers, he was previously... This is uh, Pete Peterson, the perennial deficit scold. Right. <laughs> who runs a
1: Pete, the Pete Peterson Foundation. Yeah.
0: Yes, well, he used to run it, and then uh, Father Time intervened. <laughs> Fa- <laughs> he lost a board vote with Father Time.
2: And uh, also the inspiration for the uh, Nickelodeon show, Pete and Pete. Oh. Um,
0: but so, basically, he... Uh, becomes kind of a favored son of pete peterson and then there's like this whole story about pete peterson's time at lehman brothers again he was a former richard nixon commerce secretary so he had like a lot of contacts both inside and outside of government and you know this kind of experience and he's generally credit for credited for the turnaround that lehman brothers makes throughout the 70s and early 80s but then in uh 84 he is betrayed and forced out pete peterson is by uh, one of the traders that he actually kept on. Um, This, according to the New Yorker profile, again, like, one of the traders that he kept on, even though that trader was having, like, a terrible year and lost millions of dollars, uh, that trader, you know, turned around and started making money again, but then that trader uses the board to get his own savior, Pete Peterson, thrown out of the company. Um, And so, at this point... um, What a snake. Yeah. Pete Peterson in, like... uh, (laughs) He wants revenge the way, uh, you know, only the most uh, boring deficit scolds (laughs) can want revenge. Uh, And uh, uh, he basically, uh, Schwartzman is kind of in his ear at this point because Schwartzman was, as we mentioned, a rising star at the firm. And Pete Peterson later said he was one of like the top two or three guys at Lehman Brothers. He was a guy you could count on. And so, Schwartzman was telling him, like, you know, hey, you got to fight this board push out, but Peterson doesn't want a civil war. So, instead, what they want to do is found their own company. But, interestingly, um, before they found their own company, again, this is all from the New Yorker profile, I'll put, I'll put it on the Tumblr. But before they found their own company, Schwartzman um, uh, basically sets up a buyout of Lehman Brothers by American Express. He... Pitches, the uh, then CEO of American Express, Peter Cohen. Um, And, you know, he like, you know, uh, in 1984, just nine months after Peterson's uh, departure, uh, Lehman Brothers is sold for $360 million to American Express. And because at this point, Schwartzman is a partner, he is a millionaire in 1984. So essentially what makes him a multimillionaire is uh, becoming a partner at Lehman Brothers and then engineering the sale um that got him the to money. yeah to american express and then of course as a partner he gets a big chunk of this you know uh 360 million dollar sale and it also allows him to leave lehman brothers and go into business with pete peterson and then this is where blackstone comes in and we mentioned blackstone is one of the largest private equity firms in the world has more than four hundred twelve thousand employees throughout its dozens of different companies that it controls um But I guess we should just kind of... Oh, and the name Blackstone uh, comes from their names. Uh, It's a combination of Schwartz, which means black in German and Yiddish, and Peter, which means stone in Greek. Um,
2: Uh, What a dumb way to create Blackstone. (laughs) Uh, Blackstone, really respected the name, and then McCarthy told me about this naming nonsense, and I went, you know what? I don't know really like that name anymore I think uh, that's pretty stupid
0: they wanted to call it like Schwartz and Peterson but apparently they realized that like if they took other partners in they would want to start like adding their names to right, it and right, it would get right. like too long and complicated and Schwartz
2: stuff. and Peterson and, and
0: Leibowitz
2: and 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 McCarthy
0: <laughs> um, but so uh, they get into business together they found Blackstone in 1985 and what happens here is according to one uh, banker uh. He explains that Blackstone's early success is because of Pete Peterson's um, Rolodex, basically. We mentioned he was Nixon's Commerce Secretary. He has a lot of contacts. Um, He, again, according to New Yorker, launched a direct mail campaign targeting 100 chief executives. Um, Only men. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. The effort resulted in retainer agreements with um, Firestone, Bristol-Myers, Sony. Apparently Sony's chairman knew uh, Peterson from his White House years. Uh, Peterson in turn uh, joined the Sony board you know which solidified his links with Japan but um, the point of all this is that like uh, it's it's just an interesting thing with uh, uh, Steve Schwartzman's story where, you know, obviously there's there's hard work, but it's like, A, he gets into this business because of his connections at Yale, which right. not everyone can go to Yale. And B, he is successful in this business because of his connections with a former White House official who had connection with all these different businesses internationally who were able to give them the startup capital, uh, in addition to the 400000 in seed capital that they launched Blackstone with uh, from f- Friends and Family LLC. And he's white, yeah not saying that's going to help him but it doesn't hurt him you know what i mean well did you know that he was apparently one of the first two jews to receive a job offer from morgan stanley what? according to his own account <laughs> um,
2: <laughs> he's his own reference in how accomplished he is <laughs>
0: i like the idea of him like sitting in the morgan stanley library and like going through all of the religions <laughs> of every <Right>. single <laughs> job applicant
2: I uh, I, uh, I noticed uh, uh, you, you haven't hired any other Jews. Uh, yeah, it's just you and one other
0: uh, dude. I'm going to put that in my legacy. <laughs> um, but so basically, they're able to use this kind of Rolodex to get off the ground, and then um, they want to get out of mergers and acquisitions, and this is where they become private equity. And, uh, you know, like without belaboring the point too much, private equity is one of the... Um, uh, more interesting projects that has come out of American capitalism since the uh, the 80s, where, you know... What? Why? They use leverage buyouts, which is basically they raise a shit ton of debt, and then they buy out or, you know... They buy out a company or something like this, and then they uh, using this borrowed money, and then uh, they... Like, if it's a publicly traded company... They restructure it to add all this debt onto it and then cut costs, usually in the form of workers' pay, workers' pensions, workers' right. health benefits. Um, and then- oh, you
1: mean they engage in financial wizardry <laughs> <laughs> and uh, exercise the expertise they gained in in uh, MBA school? Yes. <laughs>
0: Yeah. Uh, and then, like, usually after, like, five to seven years, they res- they uh, resell the company or re-launch- if it's private, they relaunch it as a public IPO and then they make an enormous profit. But it's also because they're able to, once they control the company, move all of their debts onto its books. And then, of course, they charge it management fees uh, just for, you know... Uh, sometimes they they settled with the SEC for charging management fees where they weren't even providing services, but they just say, "Hey, we will take X million or hundred million in management fees, and we're going to guarantee a profit from what we have done here." So put in put in the drop.
1: You don't do
2: anything from from <laughs> yeah. the Simpsons. Yeah, yeah, I'll do yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know if uh, I'm going to keep this in, but uh, public IPO is my favorite crap craft brew. Ah, oh, fuck. Let's
0: move on. <laughs> Uh, public IPO is too hoppy for me. <laughs> uh, but so, yeah, so they bring in the business, they expand with uh, a. Part- Blackstone IPA. <laughs> <laughs> um,
1: uses only the finest hops and also crushed dreams of the working class.
0: <laughs> the only uh,
1: beer for the bourgeoisie by the bourgeoisie. <laughs>
0: Um, but so, yeah, like, uh, and I guess like we can kind of skip ahead here, but throughout the eighties, it really gets its niche in private equity. And then again, another thing that is to be remembered about private equity is they benefit from the capital gains tax rate, which under Reagan, Clinton and Bush was essentially lowered, uh, to the point where it's lower than, uh, the wages, the, the actual taxes you pay on either wages or corporate profits, is almost double what you pay on so-called capital gains and because these private equities or hedge funds are usually take what's called a two and twenty where they take a two percent um uh management fee and a twenty percent performance fee two percent of all assets under management twenty percent of all the profits they make they are able to book these profits as carried as a carried interest or um capital gains so essentially they pay a lower tax rate on what are clearly fees and should be booked as just regular corporate profits but uh, because of this they're able to uh, uh, essentially the government has set them up to succeed in a way they would not actually do so in a real competitive free market. (laughs) Right, right, right.
2: And it was lowered, you said by Reagan, Clinton, and Bush?
0: Yeah, like um, uh, uh, Reagan was the, because like Back in, you know, New Deal, uh, capital gains were taxed at the same rate as wages and, you know, corporate profits. And then Reagan lowered it. Uh, Bill Clinton lowered it. Bush got it, like, way down. And then um, under Obama, the max rate now is 20%. Thanks, um, Obama. Yeah. But it was, at a time, 10%. And it's usually between 15 and 20% today. Hmm. Um, but so... Basically, I guess we can just kind of jump around. Uh, so, like the whole strategy of uh, private equity, you know, is uh, it has been in the past devastating to um, local firms, local workers. Um, uh, they're often called, you know, vultures, uh, corporate raiders, uh, strippers and flippers. Strippers <laughs> and flippers. Yeah, <laughs> a lot of what
1: a lot of what private equity does now is kind of like they're sort of like. The new kids on the block from the days of corporate raiding. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, it's been kind of refined into sort of gaming tax uh, law huh. in order to like funnel a lot of investment up front into rescuing quotation marks uh, companies like uh, Hostess or mm. Travelport or yep.
0: a lot of examples. Strippers and Flippers was also the name of the club where he met his second wife. <laughs> 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 um, but so, yeah, so uh, we'll just talk about a couple of these companies. And again, like uh, Blackstone has been through this with a lot of companies. We don't have time to get th- to all of them, but uh, just uh, one example is a company called Momentive. Uh, this was originally Leon Black up, and up, his hedge fund, Apollo yeah. Global, which Global Management, and we'll talk about Leon Black in a future episode. Uh, they bought out um, General Electric, sold its advanced materials division um, to uh, Apollo Global Management. Um, I believe in 2006. And then according to Hedge Clippers, Apollo loaded the company with $2.8 billion in debt in one month. So uh, as we mentioned, they raise... Uh, You know, capital in some cases from wealthy investors, even from public and private pension investors and these kinds of things. So it's it's just fucked up that if you happen to be one of the few Americans with a pension, you're helping this uh, disastrous process take place because your pension investors are investing in these vultures who destroy Pensions for other workers, healthcare for other workers, etc. But essentially, they loaded the company with 2.8 billion in debt because they raise all this leverage, and then they immediately transfer the leverage onto its books, and then they uh, uh, took it into bankruptcy court. At which point, Blackstone Group comes in, um, and then again, according to uh, uh, Times Union, these uh, various it was. The Blackstone Group and four other hedge fund investors. Oh yeah, no, it's six altogether. Apollo, the Blackstone Group, and four others uh, took more than 642 million in fees out of the company after uh, after they bought it. So again, you know, they just slap however however much uh, management or uh, consulting fees onto it. And then in 2016 to 17, Momentive uh, workers went on strike because basically now that they owned the company, they ordered the CEO to, according to Hedge Clippers. Um, eliminate health and life insurance coverage for retirees slash pensions for workers and their families they cut payroll 25 to uh 50 percent for production workers uh they slashed health care benefits um and you know and this is of course after paying themselves hundreds of million you know 600 plus million in management fees uh and throwing 2.8 billion dollars in debt onto the books to make it unsustainable and then dragging it through bankruptcy court and then these workers go on strike and uh According to Hedge Clippers, there's a 100%... They bring in scabs Mm -hmm. to do the work at this chemical plant in upstate New York. And according to Hedge Clippers, there is a 100% increase in the rate of chemical spills during the strike. So it's like, you know, not only are they fucking over the workers, but they're fucking over the people in upstate New York who live near these plants. Um, And then eventually, uh, Governor Cuomo uh, intercedes, and the workers go back on uh, early 2017. Um, But, of course, like... They're. uh, But fucking cheap
2: fucks. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Hey, those people that handle dangerous chemicals want more money because they handle dangerous chemicals. Mm -hmm. Fuck that
0: noise. Let's just hire a couple of yahoos. Oh, and also according to Hedge Clippers, they fired twenty-seven of the striking workers, uh, accusing them of like uh, violating company policy on the picket line or sabotage Mm. inside the plants. And, you know, and then as part of the deal that uh, Cuomo helped uh, broach, uh, the, these workers had to go go through arbitration to figure out if they can get their jobs back. But, of course, the scabs were able to keep their jobs. Um, oh, really? Yeah.
2: The people that caused 100% more increase in... Uh, yes. Wow.
0: That's that's fucking... Hey, uh, I'm willing to pay... I, I, it's just fucking stupid. Well would you believe that a 100% increase in chemical spills translates to a 50% reduction in payroll? (laughs) (laughs) Like, yeah, I'll spill a few more chemicals, but I will do the job for half the price and none of the health care. But so, you know, that's just kind of like one example of uh, uh, private equity. But, you know, Stephen, if you wanted to talk a bit about Hostess or the other company.
2: Before that, I feel like that should be an option. I feel like you should be able to tell your employer, hey, I'm willing
1: to take less money if you allow me to fuck up more at my job. In 2007, on like the eve of the financial crisis in July, uh, Blackstone took a position with, along with another company called Travelport, Mm -hmm. which is like a data processing, uh, like a server farm sort of for the travel industry. Mm -hmm. And... As usual they you know, they ended up laying off eight hundred and forty one people. Hell yes. In <laughs> yeah. In and they they ended up getting most of their money back for themselves and their other the participant investors within a year, which is like an extremely fast turnover wow. for private equity. Yeah, that's really fast. And Basically, like that
0: experience Just to was kind real of, quick. Yeah. They, they said they let off eighty four hundred workers. Yeah. I, I kind of like the idea. Like when you're getting your MBA at Harvard, they have like classes on like how to deal with uh, the people leaving your factory <laughs> crying. <laughs> now make sure to let laugh to... <laughs> behind their backs. Because if you do it in front of them,
2: they might start a riot.
0: <laughs> how to how to make sure security protects you from people who can no longer provide for their children <laughs> oh well uh you know luckily
1: Schwartzman stayed for all four of the class warfare seminars <laughs>
0: <laughs> they have classes on how to uh transfer pension funds into your 10 million dollar birthday party yeah. i mean he min- it
1: was his minor so
0: he's working <laughs> at he had a lot of shit to work out with this deal <laughs> But so they laid off like 8,400 travel port workers. Well, it was and, uh, 841. I oh, 841. Hey, don't so forget that last still, guy. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and they cut like, I assume, pensions and pay and roll they, and health care. They healthcare. cut
1: pensions and they, they ended up enacting what they call dividend recapitalizations, mm-hmm. which amounted to about 25 – well, theirs amounted to about a billion of the roughly $25 billion worth for the private equity industry mm-hmm. in that year alone. But essentially, they show up,
0: gut the system, take their profits, and go, hey, it's it's all good, right? Yep. And then yeah. they pay a lower tax rate on those profits than basically any other sector of profitable. Yeah, because it's,
1: it's like working capital in process
0: no great i don't know I, I said it
2: off mic but like it's like it's not money laundering but it kind of is because it's like hey let's take our wealth and then buy something and then strip it of what it's worth and then re-put it back into our wealth and then leave it for what it is
0: well they're the mm-hmm. smartest criminals because they're the ones who do the legal crimes that uh government corruption has enabled through the tax code and everything else and of course the bankruptcy courts are another big factor in this Um, But so I can talk about they settled with the SEC for some of their management uh, fees practices uh, in 2015. And then, Steve, you can also just talk about Hostess real quick, and then we'll kind of move on to some of Schwartzman's you know, personal life and things he's been involved with. But so Blackstone settled in 2015 with the SEC. They paid a $10 million fine, and they refunded $29 million. And so uh, uh, just from Fortune magazine here, basically for years, Blackstone and uh, many other private equity firms, to be fair, have charged something called accelerated monitoring fees. And again, quoting from Fortune, what it basically means is that after buying a company, Blackstone would set an annual fee that the company would pay for various often undisclosed and unverified services. For example, $5 million a year for 10, 10 years. Uh, but the, the uh, bonus here is that if Blackstone exits the company, that is, you know, sells its position or whatever else, uh, prior to the 10 years being up, uh, it gets the, all the extra years in a lump sum payment. So, essentially, they're just going into corporate books and then saying, and now that they control the corporation, they're saying, okay, you pay us X amount of money for nothing, and we're just going to take this money. So, it is corporate rating. Um, And then, of course, uh, Blackstone has pledged to not do this anymore, but they still have what are called generic monitoring fees. Generic monitoring fees?
2: So, is it like, we will, like... I'm confused.
0: Yeah, so it's, uh, again, from the Fortune article, private equity firms are paid handsomely by investors on an annual basis by by the management fee, which seemingly should cover the portfolio management. But Uh they they tackle on these extra fees to a portfolio management. Uh, Basically, the only reform they made is if we sell the company, we won't take the lump sum payment anymore. Right, right. But they're still, I mean... We're going to fuck you over, but
2: not as hard this time. It's just the tip.
0: But yeah, I mean, the whole thing is just such a it's such a weird joke and abuse of corporate law where it's like, how does it benefit the economy or a company or anything to essentially say that as soon as I take over this company with all this uh, debt that I've raised, I'm going to transfer that debt onto your books. And then I'm going to tack on hundreds of millions in management fees for nothing at all. Uh, and then I'm going to strip worker pensions and use the bankruptcy courts or do whatever I can to uh, make this profitable or at least appear profitable and then sell it or IPO it and then get the fuck out with uh, paying half of the uh, taxes that I would if I was in any other business.
2: It's a lot like the old school snake oil traveling salesman, but instead of selling snake oil, it's just buying the saloon, stealing all the liquor,
0: and then just leaving town with said liquor. The uh, the st- snake oil salesman lost his pension and his health care <laughs> because Steve Schwartzman uh, took over their traveling cart <laughs> and loaded it up with uh, 100 silver dollars worth of debt. The equivalent of 3.8 billion dollars worth of debt. Right, right, right. Um, but yeah, no. It, a
2: fucking schmuck.
0: And that uh Steve it, it, I know they were involved in Hostess there's a great New York Times article on this. Um are you able to talk about that at all? Well, I mean, I don't want to be
1: the dead horse about the process of private equities. No, taking, please taking a good. But I just I I do want to bring up that uh one of the stories of the workers from the Hostess factory. A guy who lost his job, sorry. Uh he ended up afterwards working jobs that were only about ten dollars an hour, which is like half of what he was making at at Hostess. This is in twenty twelve, and uh, that, uh, so he
0: was paid uh, one one millionth of a Steve Schwarzman <laughs> birthday party. Yeah, he
1: was, he could have attended a Steve Schwarzman party for like point one a couple femto seconds. <laughs> uh, but anyway, uh, this guy say he's quote a lifelong Democrat and devoted union man. And he supported, I mean, he supported Democrats for, you know, a dozen elections prior. Right. But he said that after this experience of dealing with private equity and the restructuring, he ended up voting for Trump. Yeah. And this was in Ohio. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I, I just wanted to bring up that singular story that's not connected to any wider phenomenon <laughs> in our country's history, uh, just as an interesting anecdote. And not well, tie it to any. Sort it of should historical be noted that,
0: that Steve Schwartzman is a Republican who has uh, fundraised for uh, various Republicans, including Mitt Romney, um, Jeb Bush, now Donald Trump. Um, so you know, a lot maybe, of losers,
2: including Trump, in that sentiment.
0: But you know, maybe Steve Schwartzman was playing twelve-dimensional chess. <laughs> Where he was like, you know, giving money to politicians is one thing, but if I can just destroy workers' health care and pensions and slash their pay in half and get them to blame it on Democrats, uh, partly deservedly, uh, yeah. So he just knew how to create a new generation of Republican voters. Get into that, Sean. Why partly? Get into it. Oh, I mean, just like uh, we've, we've mentioned the capital gains, uh, the carried interest loophole, the capital gains tax rate. The capital gains tax rate was lowered under Bill Clinton. Um the carried interest loophole has been something that uh basically everyone who knows about it says this is ridiculous and should be undone. Right. But every time it goes up to the Senate it disappears. Senate uh now minority leader Chuck Schumer has been uh, big and, you know, behind the scenes keeping the carried interest loophole alive. And in fact, um David Sirota did uh the journalist did a uh great uh piece again beyond the tumbler. But basically, uh the uh, Trump uh, tax cut, of course he campaigned, Trump did on ending the carried interest loophole. Yeah. The Trump uh, tax cut while it was being negotiated, uh, Steve Schwartzman was holding a $100,000 a plate uh, fundraiser for uh, Donald Trump at his triplex apartment at 740 Park Avenue. It was more than 17,000 square p- feet. He paid 37 million for it. John D. Rockefeller Jr. used to live there and, um,
2: he literally lives in a
0: former Rockefeller's...
2: First of all, triplex is a word that I didn't know until McCarthy said just now. Part of me was like, yeah, because most people aren't living in triplexes, let alone duplexes.
0: I just love, like... I mean, look, I know we're like a Hate the Rich podcast or whatever, but... What? Uh, but living in, uh, let's say, 600 square feet, when I read 17,000 square feet, I'm just like, you know, maybe I should fuck over more workers... <laughs> Like, maybe if I could just, like, uh, give more people uh, (laughs) chemical waste poisoning by hiring scabs, I could have, you know, extra room for my PlayStation. Um, But so, yes, uh, while the uh, tax bill is being negotiated, uh, Trump goes to his uh, to Steve Schwartzman's Park Avenue apartment. um, And then uh, it was about two dozen of them paid $100,000 each uh, to hear Trump talk for 20 minutes. Or uh, about five thousand. About month. what? Uh, he was basically. They just. <laughs> he just talked about. <laughs> it is funny. Like various articles on it are just him like magic. Being, like, the gathering exactly. Various <laughs> articles on it are just him being Trump, where he's just like you know nobody said I could win in Wisconsin. Yeah, right, nobody right, said right, I could right. win in Michigan, but I did. I'm so great, you know. But they got to like ask him about this, and then of course. Um, even though Trump had campaigned on removing this carried interest loophole, uh, it was not removed in uh, the tax cut bill that he passed. And in fact, uh, David Sirota has an article on the fact that it's mentioned, the fact that it's mentioned in the tax cut bill that uh, Trump uh, passed actually means that future presidents may not be able to remove it by executive action. Like, it's a little complicated, but basically the way the carried interest loophole is is written is that the Treasury Secretary has discretion. So David Sirota's argument is that uh, Obama or Trump's Treasury Secretary could have just said, okay, we're going to treat this as regular income and tax it at the higher rate. But now that it's been uh, legislated on, it would be harder for a president to do that because the courts usually defer to uh, legislation. Right. So, you know, that's what you get when you uh, uh, do a $100,000 a plate fundraiser for the guy. Um, and so I guess uh, we can also just talk about his uh, strategic and policy forum chairmanship. Um, so, Steve Schwartzman, throughout the uh, election, he did not actually donate to Donald Trump during the election. He donated to Jeb Bush. Uh, again, this is the investment wizard. Right, right,
1: right. <laughs> he... He, he donated to Rubio as well. Oh, good.
0: Yeah. A couple of winners right there. He wanted to diversify his portfolio. <laughs> Jeb and Marco, my favorite team players. He wanted to make sure that uh, all of the closeted politicians got at least 100000 <laughs>
2: Is that, a, is that a rumor Jeb and Marco nah, are uh, d- closeted?
0: Well, it was Trump played it up about Marco, but I don't think they are. I'm just being homophobic. Well, he saw the picture of Mar- the Marco
1: Rubio hydrating when he was giving the Republican <laughs> response <laughs> yeah. to yeah, the, yeah. to one of Obama's last um, state of the union right just He's right, like right. he's a smart smart man he's conserving himself
0: <laughs> but so uh, uh, he- got to hydrate. Uh, but basically after Trump wins Schwartzman goes all in on him because he you know, recognizes that he can make money doing this and so uh, they're talking, uh, Trump and Schwartzman are talking during the transition and Trump wants him to head, head up a group of uh, business CEOs that will give him you know, economic and policy advice for job creation um, it, it gets called the strategic and policy forum which <laughs> I don't even know what the hell that means but it was a 16-member group, uh, included uh, CEO of General Motors, J.P. Morgan Chase, uh, CEO Jamie Dimon, the Boeing CEO, the IBM CEO, the Walt Disney CEO, um, and uh, Steve Schwartzman chairs this. But interesting thing is that while he is chairing this uh, group that gives uh, financial and policy advice to the president, he, of course, has not divested himself of any of his business. Right. So he is making policy recommendations that, Financially benefit his bottom line, and uh, and I do just love that. Um, so uh, Steve Schwartzman set up a, uh, a scholarship fund, like the Rhodes Scholarship, uh, to send people to study uh, in graduate school in china Mm -hmm. like 100 students every year i believe and so he was criticized for uh sitting on this uh commission with uh the rather controversial president and you know making advice that benefits his bottom line and he wrote a letter to the schwartzman scholars as they're called saying that quote having influence and providing sound advice is a good thing even if it attracts criticism or requires some sacrifice wow And, you know, that kind of sacrifice, like uh, making sure the carried interest loophole stays law for at least another decade, saving you uh, tens of millions, if not hundreds of millions of dollars. Um, But uh, so, sadly, the Strategic and Policy Forum ends when Donald Trump says that uh, white nationalism is good after Charlottesville. (laughs) (laughs) Sacrifice right there. Right, right, right there's like uh, the CEOs were like, look, we'll, uh, you know, engage in um, insider trading and government corruption. <laughs> but once people start yelling at us for uh, associating with Nazis. Listen, that-
2: he might have grabbed pussy. He might have said all Mexicans are rapists and drug addicts. But listen, you know, Nazism, we got to we got to we got to bounce out.
0: He might have been accused of rape by his ex-wife and by a child. But, uh, you know. Not enough people know about those things, and... uh, I
2: just love that there is, like, a... I mean, we could excuse everything, but his comments on Charlottesville. That's where we had to draw the line.
0: Well, the problem is Trump, like, did them in front of TV cameras. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. It's it's difficult. See, it's like none of these people. I agree with Trump. I just don't say in front of the media. (laughs) Um, But so Schwartzman actually wanted to keep this uh, group alive. Apparently, I believe uh, uh, Jack Welsh, the uh, CEO of General Electric, also wanted to keep it alive. Um, But so just according to this New York Post story, Schwartzman said at the time, I was accused of by people of being a Nazi. I mean, I'm Jewish. Um, and he said, virtually anyone running a public company could not deal with the pressure of their constituents. And then just a fun little anecdote is that the decision to disband, uh, according to the New York Post, which ended up getting first announced by Trump, who claimed the breakup was his decision, occurred after each member in alphabetical order voiced their concerns on a conference call. Um, it's but- I
2: know it says in alphabetical order. I find that so fascinating that they're like, well, let's go by A through Z. Let's not just all say how much we hate this... <laughs> Let's do it in
0: order. Everyone say how they're feeling at the same time. (laughs) They did it in order of how many layoffs. (laughs) Um, But yes, so sadly, um, the Trump support of neo-Nazis ended that little uh, financial bonanza for Mr. Steve Schwartzman. Um, uh, And I guess we can kind of jump around in the time we have left, but I would like to uh, circle back to Pete Peterson real quick. Uh so he was, as we mentioned, the co CEO of Blackstone for a time, um uh the co-founder. Um and initially um uh Steve Schwartzman and Pete uh Peterson had uh, a split equity stake, you know, fifty-fifty. But it essentially through uh, different dealings, Schwartzman um diluted his shares to the point where when they went public in two thousand seven, which is what made Steve Schwartzman a billionaire, um Schwartzman owned uh, about 30% of the company, whereas Peterson had gone down to 11%. Wow. And uh, it, it was basically... Um, so he just fucked his partner over? Yes. So it was interesting. According to the New York Times, uh, when uh, Pete Peterson died in March of this year, uh, at the memorial, numerous attendees took note that um, uh, Steve Schwartzman was not selected as a speaker at the memorial. <laughs> oh. Uh, yeah I'm not shocked yeah so basically they had like a huge falling out mainly over uh, Peter Peterson's retirement package mm-hmm. um, but it's it's just funny like the, the guy see uh, Mr. Steve Schwartzman seems like a completely amoral um, scumbag who has no loyalties whatsoever again like you know he in his own telling he did like all the hard work of building up Blackstone but of course it would not exist without Pete Peterson's Rolodex. the without his contacts and then he just like fucks him out of again this is a guy worth more than 13 billion dollars this is pennies for him or even if it's like a little more than pennies it's like don't you want to help the person who got you where you are
2: yeah and it's like that's how bad greed is for some of these people that they can't even like i mean it seems cheesy but the 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 way they value friendship is they don't Right, uh, uh, you're my friend, but also in the heat of the business, I might kill you. Mm-hmm. Imagine if like like uh, people in the army were like that, like like friendly fire would be rampant. Like it's like it's insane to think how cynical and fucking egotistic these billionaires are.
1: It's kind of interesting how like Swordsman Swartz, and Peterson form kind of like a really. One two punch against the American (laughs) workers. And that, like, at a higher level, they're a really, really effective class war fighting unit, I think. Right, right. Because one of them is like the chief sort of private equity arm of like removing pensions, firing tens of thousands of people in the Midwest. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then the Pete Peterson and his foundation are arguing for less and less government spending and a reduction in the community sphere in in a way that like it just combines to like basically assure like a decent chance at fascism now. <laughs> right,
0: right, right. It's funny, you were talking about like the armies, so I just had this image in my head of like uh Steve Schwartzman fragging Pete Peterson <laughs> by like they're, uh, they're kinda of frenemies, <laughs> but you know. They they uh Neither one like, would probably let on to how well they actually work together. Pete Peterson was, like, standing outside the building, and Schwartzman, like, called out to the security guards, Union members at the uh, wire! <laughs> <laughs> there are union members at the wire! <laughs> Open fire! Yeah. Um, but yeah, so you mentioned Pete Peterson's foundation. Uh, I don't know. We might go back and do a future episode, but we've mentioned it briefly. Pete Peterson has signed the giving pledge before he died, which was to give away half of his assets. Vast majority of that he gave to his own foundation, which doesn't do anything except for tell people we need to lower the debt. And he's just like such a a scumbag where it's, uh, he, if you go to his Wikipedia, he wrote four or five books throughout his life it might be five or six but basically all of his books have titles like the coming social security crisis uh we need to pay our debt down now the coming debt apocalypse you know etc etc and then his last one right before he dies is like some generic biography like my american story you know when you're like running out of time (laughs) debt fear-mongering and you're like oh i should like try to tell a story that somebody gives a shit about but but it's just funny to me because it's like Uh, If you're a guy like our uh, co-host, Steve, uh, and you're familiar with modern monetary theory, you know that debt, when denominated in a country's own currency, is almost irrelevant. But these people's idea of, like, the deficit and debt scare—and Pete Peterson was extremely influential in government. He helped set up the Simpson-Bowles Commission, which was going to slash Social Security and Medicare to reduce the debt— But, but, you know, so it's already irrelevant, but their idea for reducing debt is never, oh, hey, let's just tax billionaires at 100% of income and let's seize 95% of their assets. Like, you know, maybe if debt is such a problem, we shouldn't have fucking billionaires running around. It's always like, oh, let's just like kill all of the poor people. (laughs) Like debt is such a problem that we have to just go full Third Reich and, and other, have people starve to death in the streets. And his foundation, really, you didn't have to be a
1: true believer in, like, the government as a household metaphor in order to buy into it. Because there's a lot mm-hmm. of people who really cynically paid lip services to the, the P. Peterson Foundation because it, it was just, like, a really effective tool of class right. warfare against oh, yes. workers. Here,
2: of course. Here are his books in order. Uh, in 93, he wrote facing up how to rescue the economy from crushing debt and restore the American dream in 96 he wrote will America grow up before it grows old how the coming social security crisis threatens you your family
0: and your country I like the idea of these books getting like progressively more pissed (laughs) where he's like listen you motherfuckers (laughs) we have to cut social security now that would
1: be like listen you little shit (laughs) this this book took over a million dollars to produce
2: You better buy this. In 2000, he wrote Grey Dawn, Uh, How the Coming Age Wave Will Transform America, uh, Dash, and the
0: World. The Retirement Explosion. 2004,
2: there's two more. On Borrowed Time, How the Growth in Entitlement Spending Threatens America's Future with Neil Howe.
0: I like how when he wrote that book, he was actually on Borrowed Time.
2: (laughs) In 2005... Running on empty. (sighs) How the Democratic and Republican parties are bankrupting our future, and what Americans can do about it. (sighs) Lastly, two thousand nine, the education of an American dreamer. How a son of (laughs) Greek immigrants learned his way from a Nebraska diner to Washington Wall Street and beyond. Uh, (laughs) Okay, kind of. Yeah, it ends on a nice note. Yeah,
0: I like the idea of like how they're. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) They're bankrupting our future uh, by spending all that money that they also create with a printing press. (laughs) Uh, So just a quick story about him being, uh, Steve Schwartzman being an asshole to his employees. Mm -hmm. Uh, Basically, according to Wall Street Journal in 2007, employees in the 11,000 square foot Palm Beach mansion that he owns must wear rubber, must avoid rubber-soled shoes because the squeaking sounds they make uh, impede upon his poolside bliss. (laughs) And then according to that same story, his personal chef, uh, often spends three thousand for a weekend of food, uh, which includes stone crabs that cost four hundred dollars or forty dollars per claw. And uh, uh, then Steve Schwartzman told the New Yorker that he was wounded by this article, uh, which he said didn't mention that he sent his chef's daughter to summer school at Yale and Harvard, and kept the chef on his payroll while he was going treatment for cancer. And so that's just like, that's just so benevolent of him to right. uh Not illegally fire a sick worker. (laughs) I don't know if it's illegal, but, you know, I mean, it should be. Um, But so, yeah, like just a couple other like jump around anecdotes about uh, Steve Schwartzman and uh, apologies if we go along on this. But I do just want to kind of get some of these in here. Uh, Steve Schwartzman, uh, we we mentioned the carried gains loophole earlier. Obama briefly talked about ending it. It Eventually came to nothing. But at the time, uh, Schwartzman, according to Newsweek, said, quote, It's a war. And then he said, uh, Obama's increasing on taxes of private equity firms is, quote, it's like when Hitler invaded Poland in 1939. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, He later apologized for that. But uh, we we all know that when Hitler invaded Poland, the first thing the SS did was uh, charge 15 more percent. To all of the intellectuals and the dissidents. Right, In charge of management fee for government. <laughs> <laughs> the SS loaded up the uh, Jewish councils with billions of dollars in uh, debt financing. <laughs>
1: whoa, whoa, whoa.
2: Let's not say loaded up. Can we change that phrasing?
0: Uh, yes. I like the idea of, like, Obama rolling panzer tanks on Steve Schwarzman's $150 million properties. <laughs> We're going to need your triplex. (laughs) Um. Uh, we got a lot of work to do here. uh, Now, Steve, if you will just uh, start uh, digging this uh, mass grave.
2: (laughs) (laughs) And uh, once you're finished, uh, put yourself in it, and uh, you can uh, do whatever you want.
0: Now, Steve, uh, we're going to need uh, to make sure you don't have any lice, so if you'll just uh, put, give your belongings to this gentleman here, and uh, you'll be taking a shower.
1: <laughs> Some of you asked if we'll
0: have uh, you know, blankets in the wintertime. The answer is no. Um, but so, yes, he apologized for saying it was like when uh, Hitler invaded Poland, but he uh, did not apologize for... Um, so Blackstone, if you've watched the documentary Blackfish, it's about SeaWorld, and it basically makes the arguments that orcas or killer whales- Why's it got to be black? When they're in captivity. You make that joke every other episode. <laughs> uh, when they're in captivity, it argues that orcas can get crazed or violent, especially if they're separated from their parents or children, which- most orcas in captivity are. And that's the argument that's made in the documentary Blackfish, if you haven't seen it. And so they also tell this story about this uh, one trainer named uh, Dawn uh, Branschau, who was, uh, she worked at SeaWorld in Florida, and she was killed by a killer whale named Tilikum, who's uh, semi-famous. And so um, Steve Schwartzman was on CNBC, and he was asked about it, and he said this.
1: Your take on this Blackfish documentary, which showed a very horrifying picture of what goes on in this world well i actually haven't seen that and uh it had a had a run uh you know SeaWorld is a remarkable uh, uh business and and people who go there love it uh they had one safety lapse uh interestingly with a situation where the person involved violated all of the safety rules uh, that we had. How are you talking about? Where? What happened to the fish? Did you not see in the documentary? It was, it was pretty bad. I mean, what, and what? The fish are mistreated, or what? what yeah, what the, one, the, 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 the fish are mistreated. The fish? Are, I mean, I don't know if you call them fish because some of them are um, mammals. Mammals. That. Okay, okay. All right. I, just, I just, okay. you know, where did you? Is it Mother Jones documentary? No, I. I...
0: <laughs> uh, so basically what he said is, quote, he, uh, that, uh, SeaWorld, oh yeah, and so we should mention that, um, uh, Blackstone at this point owned SeaWorld. Hmm. And so what he said was, uh, SeaWorld had one safety lapse, interestingly, with a situation where the person involved violated all of the safety rules that we had. So basically, he's blaming the uh, trainer who was killed by this killer whale for her own death. Wow. And uh, it should be noted that though uh, SeaWorld actually um, initially hired... They got into a, a situation with OSHA, the Org- Occupational Safety and Health Administration, over this. Mm-hmm. Uh, they hired an expert wil- witness who also blamed the trainer for her own death, but later um, SeaWorld said under oath in the court case that the trainer did nothing wrong. This was totally unpredictable. Uh, this was entirely not the fault of the trainer who was killed by this orca. But it's just interesting where um, his first instinct is, of course, to blame this person right. uh, murdered by the company he owns, and... Uh, For her own death And uh, just a quick story On Blackstone They bought SeaWorld From uh, Anheuser-Busch In 2009 For about Two and a half billion This is according To the Orlando Sentinel They used about A billion of their own cash Financing the rest With corporate debt They took it public In April of that year Um, uh, And then they sold off Most of their shares In December And then eventually uh, They sold everything In 2017 Their SeaWorld Stake entirely And I guess (laughs) they Yeah. Anyway. And then
1: they, uh, right before he left, he he renamed it Sea Word.
0: <laughs> what if, like, right before he Sorry, sold it off? You can cut that. No, cut no, that. I like that. Right before Steve Schwartzman sold it off, he's like, wait, I just want to watch the separation of one last orca from her mother. <laughs> oh, <laughs> my God. <laughs> he's just, like, in Sea World listening to the, sc- the screams of the orca.
2: Listen, I love separating people from their homes. <laughs> Give me this one last joy.
0: Oh, God. There's so much in this episode. Uh, I'm sorry we're, we're going go long, but um, we can talk about his birthday party and then the uh, rent back securities and then we can wrap up. But so basically we've kind of alluded to Steve Schwartzman's birthday parties. Uh, he had a very controversial one in 2007, which cost at least $10 million, uh, according to Slate. Uh, It was, they uh, took out the park, uh, they rented out the Park Avenue Armory, and they transformed it into a a large-scale replica of uh, the Manhattan apartment that he lives in.
2: Whoa, Uh, whoa, 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 whoa. They just remade his apartment for a party?
0: Yeah, which it's like, I guess you just don't want people in your apartment, (laughs) but you want people in your apartment.
2: I love where I live. I don't like when people come, though. How do I... I guess I could have two places. I don't want two places, but one
0: that's temporary. Uh, what do I do? Um, but so, again, according to Slate, uh, they there's a huge portrait of Steve Schwartzman which hangs in his living room, and they moved it there for the birthday party. So, you know, that's uh, you know some next-level vanity when yeah. you're having a $10 million party with your fucking living room self-portrait in there. I mean, he didn't paint it. But, no, 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 yeah. Um, but so... Uh, The the, um, diners, dinner was served in a fake nightclub setting with orchids and palm trees. They dined on lobster, filet mignon, bake Alaska. They were offered a variety of expensive wines, even though Schwartzman doesn't drink. Uh, Comedian Martin Short was the emcee. And then uh, apparently Rod Stewart was paid a million dollars to sing for half an hour. And I just like the idea of just like, how many workers lost their health care so that Rod Stewart right. could sing right. for half right. an hour. Right. Um, but so that was his 60th birthday in 2017, and then in, uh, in 2007, and, uh, which was, of course, right before the market collapsed, Uh, So it was kind of very controversial and infamous. So you
2: decided to have a smaller birthday 10 years later. You know, a really, really small internal affair, a couple of people. Right, Sean?
0: Yes, yes. It was, uh, uh, you know, I'm just going to quote this whole paragraph from Avenue Magazine. It was in Florida. And so according to Avenue Magazine, the evening's theme was the Silk Silk Road, a salute to Steve's love of discovery and of his business in China. Uh, Geisha Geisha girls? Geisha. Geisha. Geisha geisha girls in red greeted the guests with flutes of champagne. Uh, it unfolded in a series of exotically carved three story high golden temples, trapeze artists twirled from the dining pavilions, uh, red ceiling, uh, red uh, staircases flanked oh by God. gigantic blooming trees led to a grand tier for additional seating. Um, hand-embroidered napkins were folded on a teal satin tablecloth. Um, the edges revealed shades of green and blue. Every surface was festooned with exotic red and orange flowers. At each place, a single golden egg topped by an enamel dragon oh cra- God. cracked open to reveal a delicate lobster salad. Oriental ribbon dancer's and an acrobat with a 30-foot-high uh, pot balanced on his head amused the diners as they nibbled on short ribs and noodles and sipped peerless wines. At each table, everyone received a chocolate surprise hidden in a masterfully carved 10-inch dragon. And uh, again, um, that he had to create so many Trump voters <laughs> to put this party on. <laughs> Um, but so, uh, uh, Jared and Ivanka were there, uh, but Donald Trump didn't come because, uh, he was in Florida at the time, but the, he was working? yeah, well, he said the security costs uh, would have been too high, like having to get the secret service to go through there. Um, but <laughs> 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 the, it, the acrobat is fine. But.
1: Yeah. Right, right, right. They
0: it's, were also led to a tiered stadium for fireworks, then into a three story temple for dinner, uh, with um Glenn, a performance of from stars from the Jersey Boys and Gwen Stefani. Um, oh, Gwen Stefani was there. I hope she yes. played "Don't Speak." <laughs> Apparently, she did her happy birthday song. But uh, wait, her happy birthday song? I, I don't know. Maybe her take on happy birthday. <laughs> it's, uh, it's her impression of the Marilyn Monroe. <laughs> happy birthday! <laughs> but uh, uh, and again, according to uh, I believe the New York Post. Uh no New York Times Gwen Stefani was paid five hundred thousand for her work, so it's very sad that even in the uh evil multi billionaire uh entertainment <laughs> world, there is a wage gap yes. right
2: right 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 um you think the money would go off with inflation, but the gender gap prevails uh
0: anyways uh if you're looking for comedians at uh sports radiusth <laughs> uh but so uh, and again, apologies for going long, but Blackstone and real estate is another fascinating story. They've set up what are called rental-backed securities. Uh, Blackstone primarily does this through their subsidy called Invitation Homes. Um, according to Mother Jones, it is the large. Blackstone is the largest owner of single-family rental homes in the nation. Right. Uh, according to Blackstone themselves, they own more than 100,000 either multifamily or single-family homes for rent. Um, and basically, uh, they just bought up all of these rental properties or these single-family properties after the uh, foreclosure crisis, the 2008 financial crisis and foreclosure collapse. Uh, and then they bought up all these properties and then converted them into single-family rentals. And according to this report, Blackstone, Atlanta's newest landlord in Atlanta, uh, 78% of the Blackstone tenants they surveyed do not have consistent and reliable access to a landlord or property manager. Um and then they generally receive minimum 5% annual rent increases (laughs) because all of these leases... Are packaged into similar to mortgage-backed securities, uh, rent-backed securities, and then sold on to investors. And then part of what they do is they uh, tack on all these different fees and they uh, guarantee uh, regular rent increases. And of course, when your landlord is the largest landlord in the country with uh, you know Wall Street offices, they're not really going to give a shit that your fucking heating in right. Atlanta doesn't work <laughs> anymore. Yeah. Um, so
1: there's not even a, man- a property manager there
0: at all, or mm-hmm. a super or anyone. Um, oh, yes. And uh, just from this same Mother Jones article in uh, Char- they, they bought up uh, particularly in like Phoenix, Arizona, Atlanta, Georgia, Charlotte, North Carolina, various places hit very hard by the foreclosure and housing collapse. Um, but according to this Mother Jones article, uh, invitation homes in Charlotte, uh, North Carolina, raised rents by as much as a third and filed eviction proceedings against nearly 10 percent of its renters, according to the Charlotte Observer. And it's just like. Another fact is from the book Eviction, about 10% of the residents of Milwaukee are evicted every year. So it's just like this kind of epidemic of eviction and high rent we're seeing is very much tied into the uh, uh, Wall Street takeover of the rental market. And uh, yeah, you had something else?
1: um, It's a good follow-up on the Wall Street takeover of the mortgage market. Mm -hmm. So now instead of people who at least nominally own a home. They right. They have uh, only nominally, at least nominally, own a lease. Right. It's just going to go on and on on down until.
0: <laughs> well, uh,
1: they have like uh, start pulling together people's Airbnb payments. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Uh, but so, yeah, and it's just another kind of ridiculous thing. According to the same uh, report, Blackstone, Atlanta's newest landlord, in November 2013, 51% of all home sales in the state of Georgia were made to cash buyers. Mm-hmm. So they go to these foreclosure auctions, and they just have this, like, huge line of credit, and they just buy all these things up. So it's it's also can be tied into, like, some of the uh, uh, price increases you've seen in real estate, where, you know, these institutional investors are going up and buying up all these property. And it's just like kind of, um, I would say, a fault of the uh, supply and demand free market model of housing people, where um, uh, uh, vested capital interests, who of course have you know far more to spend than a single. Uh, person or couple trying to buy their starter home are just buying up everything on the market and turning them into rental units though it should be noted that uh, according to one youtube video i watched blackstone has started selling some of these properties as of 2016 so maybe they think the bottom is going to fall out of this market um but yes anything else on the rental back securities
2: all right well um i uh, i just want to mention one other quick thing uh, you know on uh, Stephen A. Schwartzman's uh, Wikipedia, it says he's the chairman of the Strategic and Policy Forum, like we mentioned. But one thing that's great, it says, uh, you know, he's in office January 20th to August 16th of 2017, right? And it says, preceded by, position established. Succeeded by, position abolished. <laughs> it's a very, very fun, succinct uh thing and when we first started doing research on uh steven schwartzman uh, his middle name is alan and uh it's been very fun to do uh steven a schwartzman <laughs> impressions
1: great. What, what are you talking about that was all my research <laughs> that was uh
2: no i i think you don't realize uh and uh, now, uh, now skip one thing i love i don't know if, i don't know if we're doing this you want yeah, to do yeah, this no, yeah, 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 yeah yeah let's, let's do it, it. um
0: I'm going to commit to the bit. I don't know if we wanted to do it or not. No, let's do it. Let's get into this.
2: Now, what you don't know is that I'm the 113th ranked billionaire in the world. Forbes ranked me at 113. Now, Skip, slow it down. LeBron could never match the amount of intensity that I have.
0: (laughs) Now, Skip, nobody likes union workers more than I do. But when I brought in those scabs, accidents in upstate New York went up by 100%. 100% increase in chemical spills, Skip. Skip, Skip, when I was a Yale, I got my BA. At Harvard, I got my MBA.
2: I went to Skull and Bones right after George W. Bush. Now, you're telling me that I can't be the number one billionaire in the world. I started Blackstone. I stabbed my partner in the back.
0: <laughs> no skip nobody likes child sacrifice more than i do skip <laughs> name one other billionaire who has the rare disease you get when you consume human flesh <laughs>
2: uh, uh, that's fun
0: all right but uh yeah so uh, uh uh, he's also steve schwartzman has donated millions on the condition things be named after him again running theme with kind of vain billionaires he gave yale university a hundred and fifty million dollars for a new student hub called the schwartzman center um because you know if there is one college that desperately needs money (laughs) it is yale university right right but i just like the idea it's like thanks to uh Um, This guy destroying the American labor and union force. Now students at Yale will have an extra place to finger each other. Um, and, uh, uh Schwartzman, Oh, it, w- one other anecdote from that New Yorker story, um, uh, quote, Schwartzman told me that in 1993 at 46, he was found to have a rare blood protein deficiency that put him at risk of a blood clot or embolism, a condition that had killed his grandfather at the same age. He is tested every few weeks and takes a pill each day, which he says should help guarantee him a normal lifespan. Um, so if you're listening and you're in a position to replace, uh, Steve Schwartzman's pills with placebos. We will give you a free year of Patreon.
2: <laughs> I think that's why his housekeeper got pushed in the subway, though.
0: Oh, yeah, you should tell that story real quick.
2: Uh, they had a housekeeper who uh, was uh, murdered. She got pushed in the subway by uh, a crazed schizophrenic, uh, according to this article by the New York Post. Um, the thing is, is that, like, you know, the daughter Zibby Schwartzman talks about how heartbroken she is about this uh, housekeeper, Connie Watton, who was killed and it's like, you know, like this person was genuinely murdered. But then uh, the second paragraph uh, qu- quote of uh, Zibby is, I guess, intellectually, you know things like this happen, but to someone so close who is part of the fabric of every single day of your life and for something so senseless and so random, it makes me want to pack my bags and get out of New York, she said. Yeah, you know... Maybe if your father wasn't, uh, I don't know, making the world worse for millions upon millions of people, I'd have a bit more sympathy for your murdered housekeeper. But later on in this article, you talk about how uh, your stepdad and mom gave her away at, at this uh, woman's wedding because they couldn't fly in her family from uh, the Philippines. And it's like, I don't they know. They couldn't
0: use her father's
2: private right, jets. Right, You mean that billionaire that you come from couldn't afford six plane tickets, even if it was coach? Even if it was coach? So, unfortunately, Connie Watton was murdered, so Teddy Schwartzman need to hire another
0: another uh, person to clean the house. And, of course, his, uh, Steve Schwartzman's son uh, has a movie production company, and he produced the movie The Imitation Game, mm-hmm. the Alan Turing movie with Benedict Cumberbatch in 2014, and uh, it's just so nice that uh, he provides a model of how we can all make it in the film <laughs> right, industry. right,
2: right hey, 30 Hollywood producers who want to buy this? Well, my dad's a billionaire, so I think I'm going to win this
0: fight. I just like how she, uh, his daughter was like, I just want to get out of New York and, and go upstate where <laughs> uh, there's chemical spills by, <laughs> caused by all those scabs my father hired. Right. Blackstone, according to The New Yorker as of 20, 2007, Blackstone does not own a corporate jet. Instead, it uses Schwartzman's private jet, and in 2016, the company paid him $1.54 million for the privilege. And... Uh, you know, and also he's like, as of 2017, he made 800 million annual, which is more than the largest lottery payout in history. Wow. So, again, this guy has just so much fucking money. And, uh, you know.
2: That's why he's a billionaire. Steven Schwarzman, a real piece of work.
0: <laughs> All right. And so. One other thing about Steve Schwartzman was in uh, January 2016, uh, when the uh, Donald Trump presidential campaign was a- underway, he was asked about, uh, you know, the rise of Donald Trump uh, by Bloomberg television. And he had this to say.
2: Steve, before I let you go, I have to ask you about what's going on in domestic politics back home. Are you getting used
1: to the idea that Donald Trump could win the Republican nomination? Uh, I-, I find the whole thing sort of astonishing. Uh, and what- what's-, what's remarkable is the amount of anger, uh, whether it's on the Republican side or the Democratic side. Uh, Bernie Sanders, to me, is, is almost more stunning than some of the stuff going on on the Republican side. How is that happening? Why is that happening? What is the vein in America that is being tapped into? across parties that's made people so unhappy. Now, that's something you should spend some time on.
0: <laughs> How is that happening? Why is that happening? This is the guy wow. that, thinks, that thought
1: that when he first walked into Morgan Stanley, people looked so happy. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: yes. How is that happening? Why is that happening? Uh, a man who does not know what he has been doing for the last 30 years. What a
2: fucking mook.
0: Like, you know, what? how come when we, like, get rid of people's pensions and health care and then use bankruptcy courts to destroy uh, their working conditions and then sell it off for a uh, profit that's been uh, uh, etched into a, a corporate law by the government? And, uh, you know, how come they get angry?
2: I don't know. I don't know.
0: And I also love the other part of that is, of course, Bernie Sanders is even uh, more concerning to him almost more stunning than Trump's to him because uh, Bernie Sanders is talking about, you know, Donald Trump is talking about, you know, Mexicans and blacks and and these kinds of things, whereas Bernie Sanders is talking about Steve Schwartz. Yeah, right. So it's, it's almost more shocking that somebody might point the finger that way instead of downward. How dare Bernie Sanders blame us, the 18 people that have
2: controlled all the decisions for the last two centuries and not everyone else who's done nothing about it.
0: Yeah, I love the idea, this this Skull and Bones Society member being like, you know, where's all this anger against (laughs) secret societies coming from? Like, what exactly has happened in this country where people are angry at us for things that we do that affect their lives?
2: You know, when I was growing up, people looked at Skull and Bones and thought to themselves, those are the problem solvers. You know, they're the saviors of society.
0: You know... I just don't understand how when I cut 10,000 workers' pays in half so that I could pay Rod Stewart a million dollars to sing at my birthday party, I don't understand why people are mad and voting for Bernie Sanders. (laughs) And now, Skip, you think LeBron could have camels at his birthday? Skip, do you think Gwen Stefani performs for Kyrie Irving? Now, Skip, you know nobody is more stunned by the rise of Donald Trump than I am. But Bernie Sanders' rise is almost more stunning. So, uh, in summary, Steve Schwartzman, um, a brilliant hard worker uh, who, uh, you know, he put in the hours uh, with his wife at the opera that was needed to uh, reshape the entire American economy and build a whole new coalition of republican voters um and uh you know and protect the carried interest loophole which uh would cost him the annual sum of one birthday party (laughs) if it was implemented yeah um but you know uh he he protected his flank and uh he should be really a model to the Polish resistance, because he staved off his own personal (laughs) Hitler, Barack (laughs) Obama. And so, Steve Schwartzman, we salute you, and we're uh, very happy to have spent some time learning about you today, and we hope uh, you, the listener, have have enjoyed this experience almost as much as uh, the guests at Steve Schwartzman's 60th and 70th birthday parties (laughs) enjoyed their lobster roll and their uh, chocolate dragons that were handcrafted, and... You know, all the other proceeds that happen when you hollow out the American working class.
2: And with that, this has been Grubstakers. If you enjoy us, check us out everywhere. Tell your friends, subscribe, comment, all that nonsense, all that and more. My name is Yogi Polywall.
1: Steve Jeffers.
0: And I'm Sean P. McCarthy. Thank you for listening.